All right, let's uh, let's get into the Word together tonight, and uh, I'm going to be in the second week of the series um, that that we started uh, called Captured. And if you'll remember last week, I talked to you about the fact that the Lord wants to capture our hearts, that we have to have a heart that is His. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into a few different directions tonight. I'm not going to backtrack over last week. You can find that online and uh, catch yourself up if you need to. Um, but the Lord wants to capture our hearts. And we're going to be in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter number 5. And I'm going to read three verses, verses 24, 25, and 26. Galatians chapter 5, and I'll begin reading at verse number 24. Just prior to that, uh, we have been told to walk in the Spirit. We will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We are told what the works of the flesh looks like, as Galatians, as Paul writes to the church at Galatia and, and uh, uh, tells them what those works of the flesh looks like by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if we're, if we're led by the Spirit, we're no longer under the law that the works of the flesh work under. And then he talks to us about the fruit of the Spirit, that, that if we are the Lord's, there, are, there is fruit that comes out of us. And uh, that fruit of the Spirit, some will call it nine different fruits. Some will say it's one fruit all wound up in, in nine. Some will say the fruit is love, and then all the rest are a part of that. Whatever you want to believe in that, I, I don't really have a dog in the hunt one way or the other. Whether you think it's one, a combination of one, or all nine. All I know is all nine we can walk in if the Lord, if we will allow the Lord to lead us and to guide us. And that's, that's what the gist of the scripture is. Sometimes we get into trying to talk about things we don't know everything else about. So uh, uh, we're not going to do that tonight. So Galatians 5 verse number 24 says then, and those who are Christ, how many of you would say I'm Christ? That, that really that that can carry the connotation if you've been, if you're his, you're captured by him. Your heart has been captured by him. That's the understanding that we are, are, are looking into during this series. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh, put down the flesh with its passions and desires. It says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So I want to talk to you out of that setting. We're going to just take that, and we're going to be bouncing around to a whole lot of different places now as we begin to move forward. But I want to talk to you about that understanding of him capturing your heart. If you are in Christ, and then if you are in Christ, you must allow the Spirit of God to bring you into alignment with who Christ has made you. That's the whole concept that we are working over. So if you have been captured, if your heart has been captured by Christ, you are in Christ, then you must allow the Spirit to now align you with who you are in Christ. And, and the statement that I made is this, we must be before we can do. See, there are things that, that the Lord calls us to do. There, there are ways that he calls us to walk in. There, there are actions that he calls us to take. But first, before we can do, we have to be. And we have to understand who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. And, and so with this mindset, it becomes imperative that we understand. We, I've heard preachers say, we, we are beings before we are doers. We are called human beings. We are not called human doers. Because you have to be, then you will do. The problem we have for too many, it seems to be in Christianity today, is that they are, they are not being. They're trying to do without being. They are, they are trying to do good works for the Lord without understanding who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them. So that we have to understand how to be before we can do. 
So, one of the greatest uh, books that's going to talk to us a little bit about this is in the book of James. Go to the book of James. Turn over there with me and go to James chapter number 1 and verse number 22. Now, I say this every time I come to this book because it pops into my mind and I'm up here with a microphone and so you just have to hear it again. James is probably, I believe it is the favorite book of my wife. She loves the book of James. And, uh, and so uh, James chapter 1, verse number 22, James writes and says, but be, somebody say be, doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone, let me, let me back up to verse 21. I think we need to catch that. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I almost bypassed the whole purpose I went here. So you've got, you got to lay aside all this other stuff and receive something. So you, your soul can be saved, you can be something. So, uh, so James is not in debate with Paul. There are some people that will say James' writing in this is completely in direct opposition to Paul's, but it, it is not even close to an opposition. In fact, it melts together perfectly in unity. Because they, they will say, well, Paul says we can't work for anything. It's just my grace. And James says, be doers. Because if you're not doing, then, then, then you, know, you're, you prove your salvation by what you are doing. But that's not in opposition. It is the fact that James is talking to us about, he's talking to believers who are to be new creatures in Christ, and then they will do what God has called them to do. And Paul will say the same thing. He will say, you, you come to Christ, and you will be in him by grace. It's the only way. You put your faith in him. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. But Paul never teaches that there are not works that follow. Amen. See, the harmony is there, you just have to have the understanding. And so in verse 21, James says, Therefore lay aside all this other stuff and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So the first thing you have to do is receive the word that can save your souls. You have to receive that so you can be this new creature. And then, when you are, but then be doers of the word not hearers only, or else you will deceive yourselves. So the harmony is there. First you must be, but then you must do. And the doing comes out of the heart of being. Amen. The doing of the works that the Word leads us to, the works of righteousness, the works of the kingdom of God, living our life for Him, laying aside the unnecessary, taking up the things, the cross that we are called to bear. He's already bared the cross, but we carry out the, the cross of crucifying our flesh and laying that down unto Him. He's already won the battle for us, but there are things that we must do, but it must follow being in Him. Okay, so we... I, I know that's probably very elementary to you, but we need to understand that. We are doers, but we must first be believers. And I left off last week talking about that a little bit, that Romans 10, it talks about, but how can they hear? See, you, you, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10 tells us, verses 14 through 17. But how, how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless somebody preaches to them? That's what, what the Word tells us there in Romans chapter 10. So what hits me is then you have to believe, so you have to hear the Word of God in order to believe, in order to become this person that is now regenerated. And so the thought that hits me in that is this, only believers can be obedient to Christ. Because you have to believe. 
How can they hear? How can they receive? How can they believe unless they hear the Word of God? How can they hear the Word of God unless somebody preaches it to them or it is proclaimed somehow into their life? So the only way that we can be obedient to the cause of Christ, the call of Christ, the life of Christ, is that we first are believers so that we can be in Him, then we can be obedient. How many of you have ever prayed, Lord, I want to do something significant for you? That's all? What's wrong with y'all? I pray that all the time. Let me try that again. Maybe y'all didn't understand. How many of y'all have ever prayed and said, Lord, I want to do something significant for you? Say, yeah, there you go. Got more hands, whether it was real or whether you just felt peer pressure to do it. I don't know, but that's all right. Got more hands anyway. Go home and pray that. But I, I, I will pray that, Lord, I want to do something significant for you. And I was praying here the other day, and here was the thought that came to my mind. I want you to hear this. Uh, I, I think this is important, and you might want to make a note of this because it didn't come from me. You don't have to make notes of anything I say. Here's what I heard in my spirit in that time of prayer as I was making that my prayer. I want to do something for your kingdom, Lord. I want to do something that will have lasting impact in my family, lasting impact in a life. Here's what came to my heart. If you want, you want to do something significant for God in the form of a question. You want to do something significant for God? Then be obedient in small things every day. And in the end, consistent obedience will be your greatest accomplishment for the kingdom of God. Amen. Hear that. Hear that. I'm going to say that again because that really, that, I, it, it just made me stand up and take notice. Because it was, it was a very powerful moment to me. You want to do something significant for God? It was almost like I heard the Spirit asking me that. If you want to to do something significant for God, yes, yeah, sure. Then be obedient in small things every day. And in the end, consistent obedience will be your greatest accomplishment for the kingdom of God. Well, well, surely my greatest accomplishment is going to be in the number of people that came to the Lord that I led to the Lord. Surely my greatest accomplishment is going to be doing this or doing that. No, your greatest accomplishment is going to be consistent obedience because here's the thing about that. If you are consistently obedient, God can take that. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God can take your consistent obedience and he can cause that to impact people you have no idea about. He can cause consistent obedience to shake the world for the kingdom of God. Some of the great preachers of the past would go in and hold great revivals. But when you read about their story, there were predecessors that went in before and consistently prayed every day for that move of God. Now somebody came in, got the accolades for preaching, and for seeing souls saved, and seeing revival, and no one on earth may have really recognized all of the labor that was going on before that. But tell me, let me tell you who did recognize that. God in heaven. And in their account today, those people that prayed consistently, that were obedient consistently, those people have a reward that is great because they shook the world with consistent obedience. I'm not going to take the time to tell the whole story, and I can't remember his name right off the top of my my head, but I've heard the story many times of the man that brought Billy Graham to Jesus. He was not a known name, was not a, uh, a name that everybody would know. He was just a consistent minister who was just consistently obedient to be what God called him to be. God didn't call him to be Billy Graham. God called him to win Billy Graham. Oh, come on, somebody. And his greatest accomplishment for the kingdom was his consistent obedience that if he didn't bring anyone else to the Lord throughout his whole ministry but that one man, his accomplishment for the kingdom of God was beyond understanding because he was consistently obedient. 
We need that today. We need to understand in Christianity, we need to understand that the greatest thing you can do for the Lord is be consistently obedient. Be consistently obedient and quickly obedient. That when the Lord leads, you follow. We, we, we need to get out of the mindset, well, I'm only, I'm only accomplishing great things if everybody knows about it. No, you're accomplishing great things if you're just obedient to God when no one knows about it. Your impact will last longer that way. So you've got to be before you can do. So you've got to learn who you are in Christ. People that are consistently obedient are people that they know who they are in Christ and they know who Christ is in them. And they are just being the people of God God called them to be. Amen. I, I, I was blessed, and I consider it a great blessing and honor to be raised in not only a godly family, but to be raised in a, in a church full of godly people that prayed for me, that were consi- they consistently modeled before me what it meant to be consistent in church. Amen? And, and to pray for me. And to pray and, and to believe God and to trust. They knew who they were in Christ. No one else knew our little church. It, wouldn't have, it probably didn't even make a blip in history. Those people impacted my life forevermore. I wonder who we're impacting. If we'll be consistently obedient to God, then he'll lead us to do the works that he has for us to do. So we need to know we need to know how to be. We need to know who we are in him and we need to know who he is in us. We need to learn how to be. So let's look at a few things that the word's going to tell us to be because if we're going to be beers so we can be doers. I know it's not a word I made it up. If we're going to be people that understand, we're going to be beings, we're going to be people that be, if we're going to do that before we are people that do, then we've got to understand what the Word tells us that we are to be. So let's, let's look at it and see. I know that's terrible grammar. Forgive me for it, but it'll work. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. story is of Nicodemus, Pharisee who, who came to Jesus by night because he didn't want anyone to know he was there. And he said, Rabbi, in verse 2, he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again, born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of, the, of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again you must be born again the first thing that you need and i need to understand is we must understand that we have been called by god through christ to be saved to be reconciled unto the father we, we got to, and, and i'm not going to dwell on there because i know you know that you probably wouldn't be here on a wednesday night if you didn't know that but you, got, you, you and I need to understand what that means to be born again, to be saved, to be recon, re- reconciled. It means we are now new. It means we have new life. It, it means ownership has been exchanged from ourselves unto the Father. Amen? He now is in control. Why? Because he saved me through Christ. He reconciled me to himself through Jesus Christ. He called me to be born again. I have to lay down the old life and I have to take up his life and allow him to make me new. 
I, I know we, we say that very casually, very quickly. People think that they understand that. But we have people every week that I truly believe, not here, I'm just saying in the world. There are people every week all around the world that, that believe they, they come to some sort of decision in Christ, but they, but they do not grasp the concept of being born again. That it's new life that they are receiving. It's, it's not a better old life. It's something brand new. Now, let me help you a little bit. If we have been given something brand new through Christ, then you know what that means? That means you and I don't know what that is. We don't have the concept of what it's going to look like and what it's going to take. And so, therefore, we have to rely upon the one that gave it to us. Hello. I hope that, that you'll hear this, because see, I think here's part of the problem. You know what this word does? This word tells us what being born again will result in. It not only tells us how to be born again through Christ, not only gives us the path and the way and the direction and the Messiah and the one that's going to do it and why God did it and what all he went through to get here and what all he did to pay for the price of sin, but it also tells us how to be born again. And I'm not just talking about by the formula that it gives us to believe in our heart and confess with our mouths and, and to repent of our sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it tells us how to be, how to walk in this born again life. So if we're going to be successful in this life, if we're going to be doers of it, we got to know what it says. So when I say we've got to be, understand we must be saved, we must be reconciled, then that, that means we need to be interested in what this new life really is. Because if we're not careful, we will try to associate this new life with just a different looking version of our old life. But that's fallacy. Amen. Let me let me read this. I say this to you all the time, but I want you to I want you to go there and I want you to see it. Robert, if you'll pull up for me, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. I want you to see this, and maybe we'll see this in a little bit different life, light tonight. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He is. He will be a new creature. The word means creation. Then he goes in and says, old things have passed away and all things have become new. Let me tell you something. This walk with Jesus, you've never been this way before. I don't care how long you've been saved. You have never been the path that is ahead of you before. When Joshua brings them to the Jordan River, Moses can't lead them across, and Joshua's going to be the one to lead them across. He tells them, he tells the priests, put the ark on their shoulders, ark of the covenant, presence of God, and to wade out into the Jordan River. And they go walking out into the Jordan River, and the Jordan River is going to split in two. You all know the story? It's going to stop up from upstream, and it's going to roll on past, and they're going to walk across on dry ground. But Joshua says to them, I'm going I'm to tell you something about that one of these days that the Lord gave me. I preached it at Duncan, but I'll tell you about it someday. But Joshua said to them, I want you to stay, I believe it was 2,000 cubits back, I want you to stay a ways back, but where you can see what's happening, because he said, because you've never been this way before. Amen. Now, I want you to understand that. I want us to understand that no matter where we are on our journey with, with Christ, no matter how long we've been saved, no matter how long we've been doing this, I've been, I've been pastoring for a long time, preaching for a long time. But no, long, no matter how long I do this, I've never been the way forward before. 
So I need to understand what God has to say about this new creation, about this new life that's still ahead of me. How many of you have attained all that God has for you? If so, you're ahead of Paul. Because Paul said, I don't count myself as apprehending. I don't believe I have attained everything, but I'm pressing forward. I got to keep moving forward. This new life is unfolding before me every day. My salvation is unfolding before me until the day the Lord calls me home and I live in the fullness of it that I can't even imagine right now. It's settled. It's done. I'm living in promises, but this life is a journey I'm having to walk out. Right? And so I got to keep my eyes on Christ because in Christ resides this new life. I mean, I'm just going to take my time here a little bit. I was going to press on through this a little quicker, but I've got, I've got more weeks that I can share if I have to. Turn with me to Colossians. I just felt the Lord lead me over here. Colossians chapter number 3. Look at verse number 1. Colossians 3, verse number 1. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. For you died, and your life is hidden, look at it, with Christ in God. Now watch. When Christ, who is our life, appears... Amen. Then you also will appear with him in glory. When so so this new life, when Christ who is our life, so you keep your eyes on Christ. Paul said it in Philippians, then again in Colossians. In Hebrews, he tells us uh, that he's the author and finisher. Hebrews 12, he's the author and finisher of our faith. Colossians, he tells them, Church of Colossae and all of us, look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes and mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Because when you see him, you're going to see yourself in him. Because that's where your reward is. That's where the fullness is. That's where, that's where everything he's done for you resides. And so you look to him. That means every day I get up, I have not attained. This salvation that I have received is still unfolding. And i got to look to Jesus to see what it is. That's where the consistent obedience comes in. Because every day got to get up and i got to say, Lord... Show me what I need to see today. Amen. Because I've been saved. I've been reconciled. That means my eyes have been opened to the truth. My life has become new. I'm a new creation. That means I've got new eyes. I've got new ears that now can hear the things of the Spirit. I've got a new tongue that can speak the words of God. Amen. I've got new hands that can work for the Lord and not for the things of this world. I've got new feet that can lead me into the path that Christ lays before me, and I don't have to keep walking in the path of yesterday. I've got a new mind that has been regenerated, that now has been transformed, that's no longer conformed to this world. But I only see it, I only live in it, I only understand it as I see him. Because it's in him that it just keeps unfolding. Amen. How many believe we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg and iceberg and what it means to be saved? It's not just get out of hell. Thank God for that. If that was all there was to it on this side, that'd be worth it. But that's not all there is to it. it it's not that. It, 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 that's just the beginning point. That just means I've transitioned now from death to life. But now to be saved means there's so much ahead of me that I can, and before I can do any of it, I've got to be in him, and I've got to keep looking to him, and I've got to keep seeing what it is he has. So I've got to engage with him consistently. And if we will understand that, then consistent obedience daily, even in the small things, becomes 
vitally important for us. All of a sudden, prayer takes on a whole new meaning. You know what prayer does? Prayer is communication with God. Right? But do you know what prayer serves to do? Prayer puts down that old man. Amen. Do you know prayer is not always easy? We, we have terminology like, well, I feel like my prayers just didn't even get above the ceiling or they rattled around and just fell to the floor. That's not true. Every word you speak, God is listening. But prayer is not always easy. There are times, you have, because that old, old man, that old sin nature, that, all those old things try to latch hold and try to weight you down. But the more you get in the presence of the Lord, that's why the, the older I get, it feels like the more I learn about listening for the voice of God rather than spilling out all my words first in prayer. Because I, I've gotten to the point that I'll spend more time just listening for him than I will talking on my own. Amen. Because I need him. I, he knows my needs. Now, I, I have to ask and I have to tell him and all of that. But sometimes my words just get in the way and distract me. Sometimes I just need my eyes set on him. I just need to see him because that gives me a desire to pursue him. Amen. And prayer puts that down in us and gets us in the right frame of mind to see Jesus. You know, that's what fasting does. Fasting, you don't fast for results. You fast to mortify the deeds of your flesh, to get your flesh out of the way. That old, that old flesh that is nothing but a, a, a drag down on us. That nothing, nothing crucifies flesh quicker than fasting. Amen? And you know how you know? Because you're not even hungry till you just say the words, I'm fasting. And then flesh starts in and it's death roll. Oh, I can't do this. It's only 9 o'clock. Amen? Fasting puts that flesh down so you can focus on Christ. That's the purpose of it. Amen? Prayer is communication with God because the more we're in communication with the Lord, the more we are focused upon Him, the less we are focused on ourselves. And we're seeing Him in a new light and we're seeing what He has for us and what He's promised us and what He's brought to us. And we're beginning to understand what it means now to be saved. And all of a sudden it becomes joyful. It, it becomes, you become willing now. It's no longer a labor because you see the need. You see the purpose. Because I got to tell you, I can't pray once on Sunday and make it till the next Sunday. Because I'll never live in my, in my salvation if that's what I'm doing. Amen. And so we are, we are redirecting, we, we are understanding what it means to be saved is to be this new creation that is completely reliant on what Christ has given to us. I cannot rely on myself for anything. Number one, even if I thought I could, I can't. I don't control it. You say, well, I'm a self-made person. No, you're not. Amen? Amen? Well, I, don't, I only work for myself. No, you don't. If you only work for yourself, you'll never make any money. You work for somebody. Amen. They may not be called your boss. They might be called your, your uh, uh, clients. Thank you. They might be called your clients. But let me tell you, if those clients... <laughs> Don't put a little green in your hand or something in your bank account. You're not getting anything. You don't, you don't just work for yourself. Amen. And, and, but yet, we, we, well, I don't. I, no, you need, you're not, you cannot, you cannot, you and I cannot determine anything about life like we think we can. We are completely relying upon the Lord. Amen. And nothing tells you that quicker than tragedy, and it wakes us up to realize, wow. That's why the Word says, don't say, tomorrow I'm going to do this, or next year I'm going to do that. Don't, don't presume to have that. God only knows. Live in the day you're given. 
Look to Jesus today. Now is the time. Today is the day. Now is the time of salvation. Amen? So we look to Jesus. Why? Because it's there we see what being saved is really all about. And so many Christians have no concept of that. They just want to take a little bit of Jesus, and they just want to apply a little bit of Jesus to their old life. You can't serve two masters. You either love the one or hate the other. That's what, the, or, or love the other and hate the one. One, one way or the other. You can't, that's scripture. That's what the word teaches us. You can't, you can't do, God is a jealous God. God will not share the throne of your life with anyone, not even with you. Amen. He has to be first. And he won't be second. And he won't be third. We've got Christians that, that think it's okay if God's second. God won't, won't be second. Amen. So we, we but when we when we get an understanding of who we are and what salvation really is, what it means to be reconciled. You know what that means? I'm not going to get into I've got I've got several of these, so we'll we'll walk through them later. You know what it means to be reconciled? Think about it. It means we were separated with no hope. I'm trying to talk to you about you got to be before you can do. See, we want to jump straight to the doing, but if we don't understand the being part of it, we'll miss out totally on everything that we could do for the Lord. And when we understand the being part, all of a sudden the doing part becomes rewards and not labor that wears us down. we got so many people that are wore out because they're trying to do all these things for God. And they're just wore down. I just can't do anymore for the Lord. Well, you probably are not learning what it means to be. You're just trying to do. You know what it means to be reconciled? Think about it. We had no, we had no possible chance because of sin to be reunited with our Heavenly Father. None. Not a glimmer of hope. Sin had wrecked us, ravaged us, stolen everything from us. But God, in His great mercy and grace, Amen, said, I'll make the way. There's some theology there that will boggle our mind the more we think about it, but the Bible calls Jesus the lamb that was slain before the very foundation of the earth. And I know you get into some deep waters of theology when you start talking like that, but, but, but that literally will let you understand God had a plan long before man ever fell. But man fell in no hope lost and undone and that was you and I we had no hope we had no birthright we had no lineage we had no right we had no heritage it didn't matter who our mama was who our daddy was what church we went to none of that would matter not at all we had no hope but Jesus came in the fullness of time the Old Testament pointed towards him from the time of Genesis all the way up to Malachi it points towards the coming Messiah the one it prophesied about him it talks to us about what he's going to accomplish the law is, is sign, uh, signs and symbols and types of Jesus that's going to come every animal they sacrificed would push off their sin until the day Jesus would come and take away their sin amen and then in the New Testament we meet the one who comes, born of a woman made under the law, that he might redeem them that are under the law. And in just the right time in history, God sends his son to this world. He is raised up in strength and stature. He is rejected by most, but accepted by those looking for a savior. He dies on a cross, sheds his blood for our sin, dies, is buried, and on the third day rises again. Amen? I feel like preaching tonight instead of teaching. And then he ascends sins some weeks later unto the Father, and he sends the Holy Spirit to mankind. That, and then the remainder of the New Testament says, now this is what it looks like now that you have been saved. And this is now what you get to do. 
See, it's not what I have to do, it's what I get to do. When I understand I'm saved and I've been reconciled. So what that means is when I was dead and put away, God made a way for me to come alive again and to be able to be in fellowship with him. How can we take that for granted? How can we get so casual with that? It's because... We're not keeping our eyes on Jesus and letting him reveal and unfold this salvation. It's because somewhere along the line, we got the idea that we understand all that it means to be saved. I want to tell you, you don't know, you and I know nothing yet about what it means to be saved. We know the basics. It's like we're, we are newborn babes, that's what the Word tells us, and we live on milk for a while, and then we get a little bit of meat, but we're growing every day and walking with Him because we've got to keep our eyes because we we've never been this way before. We were broken and undone and dead and lost and, and dismissed from the presence of God. God loved, them, loved us so much that in the garden, when they ate of the, of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. God had already made him eternal being, so God said, here's what we're going to do. He, he said, we're going to, he'd put a tree there, the tree of life, and God said, we're going to cast him out of the garden. I'm going to put a guard over that so they can't come back in because if they come back in with the knowledge of good and evil that sin now has brought into their life and they partake of the tree of life, then they're going to live eternally in that state. See, we see death as, as our enemy, and we see it. But let me tell you this. That death, that death is, is the one thing that gives us the opportunity to have life. I know that's kind of deep, but we're just, we're just kind of, if you'll think about that a little bit, you'll catch what I'm trying to say there. The thing we fight so hard against is the very thing that God said, I'm not going to let them in to partake of the tree of life in an unregenerated state because I've got a better plan. I'm going to send one. Now, they're, they're going to die. They're going to lay down this flesh at some point, but the trade-off was worth it. Somebody, the trade-off is worth it for those who are believers in Christ. I don't know when my day is coming. I don't know when my appointed time is going to be, but I know this, the trade-off was worth it. I would rather have an expiration date now and live for eternity in Jesus Christ than to have lived for eternity lost and undone and unable to be reconciled to the Father. Amen, somebody. But thank, my goodness, I, I just feel an anointing on Wednesday night all of a sudden it's worth it and now I get the opportunity to learn what it means to be saved to be reconciled to be brought back into fellowship I now have the opportunity to discover what all God has planned for me Amen. What God can do. I go through hardships, but you know what? It proves to me that because of His saving grace and His mighty hand, He won't ever leave me nor forsake me. Amen. And it shows me He heals and He delivers and He sets free. Let me tell you, there was never a need for Him to heal if there wasn't sickness. There's never a need for Him to deliver if the old sinful man's not addicted. But, but God is able through Christ to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We need to understand this being saved is worth something. People say, well, I just, I don't think I can give up that old life. What are you talking about? What are you going to give up? Oh, but it feels good. Yeah, until I don't. Amen. Not me. I'm thankful the old man was put down. And I'm thankful I get the privilege to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Because I sure don't deserve it. But I'm not going to pass up an opportunity to have some mercy in my life and receive it. 
And then I want to know all about it. I may not deserve to be here, but if God said I'm here, I want to know everything about what I have. I'm like, I feel like David who comes to the, to the battlefield and the Philistines out there and he's talking them all down and Israel's army's all hiding off behind the rocks and young David walks up, looks around, and he said, what in the world is going on? And they start telling him, oh, this giant, he's, going, he's looking for a man, and we can't beat him. And David, he says, hold on. Tell me exactly what's going to happen for the man that kills this giant. One man in Israel decided he wanted to find out what being in covenant with God really looked like. Amen. And they begin to rehearse to him. They had all heard it. They just didn't care. They said, well, that man won't ever have to pay taxes again. That man's going to get the king's daughter as his wife. That man's going to be put in a high position, and that was all David needed. I want to pursue that rather than what you guys are doing. Amen. And so he goes out, and the story is history. Amen. Because he was interested in knowing what being an anointed man of God look like? What's happened to believers that has caused us to not be interested, to not be curious about what it would look like to live in complete and total obedience unto the Lord and walking completely in this reconciled life and saved life? What could we accomplish? I don't know about you. I'm growing more curious about that every day. Well, point one, two weeks in, be saved. Be reconciled. Amen? Stand to your feet with me. Oh, we got a journey. Turn to someone and tell them, I got more to be. I wanted some of y'all to say that just because it's driving you crazy to say something like that. Amen. I got more to be. I got to learn about this. I, I want to know. Amen. I, I wish I could sing. Man, God missed a good opportunity by not giving me a gift of playing and singing. Man, I'm telling you, I could do it. He'd just give it to me. Y'all remember that old song? I want to know more about my Jesus. I want to know more, amen, about my Lord. Amen? Are y'all are out? I want to know more. And then he goes on, he says, and I mean to know more than I know now. Amen. Praise God. My heart's captured. So therefore, I'm in pursuit. Psalmist writes and he says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so longeth my soul for thee, O God. They say that that's a picture of a deer running for its life from an adversary that has no defense mechanism other than it has to get through the water to lose the track so that its predator would lose its track. And it's running with all of its life to get to that water where it can be free. Amen. How many of you have been made free by Jesus? I'm longing for him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. The words do not do justice. Sometimes they're about the best we can do to say, thank you, Father. For our Sending your son. 
for loving us even when we were enemies against you. For giving mercy to those who deserve none. Thank you, Jesus, taking my sin, dying and shedding blood that I might be free. And reconciling me to the Father. And however many days I have left on this earth. Lord let me pursue every day. Learning more about that salvation. You've captured my heart. Could we just lift our hands unto the Lord. Mm. Yes, yes. I have come to you tonight to lift your soul. I've come to you tonight to lift up your spirits and your eyes, to remind you again. That I am for you. That I am not against you. I'm for you. I have moved all things to make possible your reconciliation. I've done the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the impossible, just. To bring you in union with me. Hunger and thirst for me. For my righteousness. And you will be filled. Would you lift your hand? Amen. Amen. That song goes on and says, I want to know more about my homeland. I mean to go there some way, somehow. Amen. And when I enter that heavenly city, I mean to know more than I know now. Let's spend every day we are given in pursuit of who he has called us to be. Amen? And what he has brought to us through salvation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What an awesome God. I just feel the Lord's wanting to just settle this in us. From the message and interpretation to the words that were spoken. Feel the Lord just says, let me just. It's been planted, but now let me just. Pat it down. See, when you put a seed in the ground, you, you got you to gotta pat it down and solidify it. I feel like the Lord wants to do that tonight. Ah, oh, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.